Well, today's uh, message sermon is a little different from what we normally do. Um, typically, uh, take a verse or two or three at a time, a smaller chunk, and we really unpack um, that smaller bit and see what it is that the Lord has for us out of that uh, small section of Scripture. Um, today, we're going to be uh, covering 24 verses um, instead. And so a lot of you that are used to my preaching are like, how in the world are you going to do that, Wayne? Um, we don't want to be here until three this afternoon. Uh, but uh, my point in doing that today is I want us to get a bigger picture um, of what's going on in this passage, um, as opposed to just seeing the little nuggets along the way. And so what we're going to do is we're just we're going to work through um, the passage, and as we do, we're going to pull out some points um, as we go. And so like I said, this is going to be a little different uh, from normal, uh, but uh, I think it will be uh, very good and very helpful for us. Uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 1, and we'll be going through verse 24. And there are really two main themes that we're going to be looking at as we, as we go through this. Um, the first theme is the fact that Jesus is sovereign. Um, and when I say that word, sovereign is not a word that we typically use in our culture very much anymore. Um, sovereignty uh, points to uh, kingdoms, uh, kings, those who are in control. Um, so what do I mean when I say that Jesus is sovereign? I mean that Jesus is in control, that Jesus has power, he has authority. Um, the things we're going to look at, he, he is in complete control, total control over those things. He is sovereign in those areas that we're going to see today. And then the second area we're going to look at is his people. And what are the, the implications um, for his people based on his sovereignty? And so this is who Jesus is. So what does that mean for those who follow Jesus? Um, and so for us to understand this, we need to understand who are his people. And uh, Jesus' people are those who have placed their faith in him. Uh, they believe in the fact uh, that he came, he was the son of God, uh, he came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, paying the punishment for sin, a punishment he didn't owe, but yet he paid on our behalf so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with God. And we know that, that that punishment was received. We know that forgiveness is offered because he rose again. Um, he defeated death, um, proving um, that he, one, is God, two, he was sinless, and three, he can, he can offer us forgiveness um, before God. And so those who are his people are the people who have placed their faith in that, and they know him as their Lord and Savior. All right, so... I think that's what we have to cover before we get in, into the passage, so let's jump in now. Um, Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And so this is the, we, we've already seen before that Jesus sent out his 12 um, to go and to minister into different areas, uh, to spread the gospel, to let people know what he was doing, talk about the kingdom of God was at hand. Um, and we saw after that, uh, that it was the feeding of the 5,000, when they all came back together, all these people were following, and all of a sudden there was a massive group um, that was all coming to hear Jesus then at that point. Well, now Jesus has taken out of that massive group 72 um, that he's chosen to go and send them out before him to places that he is about to go. And so uh, the first thing we can learn about being one of his people is the fact that we go before Jesus. We go before Jesus. Jesus is the one that does the work. He's the one that ultimately changes people's lives. He's the one that ultimately saves people. That's what we're going to see in a minute when we get into to who he is. 
But our job as people who follow him is to go before him. And that goes along with our mission statement as a church. Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's what our church is here for, um, is to go before Jesus into people's lives to intercede for him and to represent him in the lives of people. The next thing we saw is that um, he didn't send them out alone. He sent them out two by two. And I think this is good, a good reminder for us as well, is that his people work together. We need one another. We don't need to try to do this alone, that we work together. Um, Jesus sent them out in pairs so that they could help each other, so they could work together, so they could support one another. All right, going on to verse 2. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is something that we're going to we start, start to see here, and then by, the, by verse 24 we really see fully unpacked is the fact that Jesus is sovereign over the harvest. And what is the harvest? The harvest are those who are coming to him, those who are becoming his people, those who admit that, hey, I'm a sinner and I need a savior, and Jesus is that savior. He's the one that can offer that forgiveness. And so um, he is the Lord of the harvest. He is um, sovereign over the harvest. And so he's telling us, pray for more laborers. Pray for more workers to come alongside you. Um, to help carry the load, to help um, advance the gospel. Because why? We don't need to do this alone. That was never the design. That was never the intent. The the intent all along, God's design, is for us to do this together um, as we work together. Going on, he says this, Go your way. Um, Behold, I am sending, sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. There's a good pep talk for you. All right, guys, here's what we're going to do, all right? You're going out two by two. You're all going to go different directions. And by the way, um, you're like a lamb in the middle of wolves. I don't know if you know much about uh, the animal kingdom, um, but that's not a very good match, right? Like that, that, you, the, the lamb against the wolf does not uh, stand much of a chance, um, you would think. Um, and then, uh, and so that's, that's the next thing we can see about his people is that we're going to face intense opposition. Jesus tells us that from the start. It's not a pep talk. He's not trying to get us all excited, but he's being real. And he's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be hard. There are going to be hard times. There's going to be opposition. There are going to be times where uh, the enemy comes at you from different ways and different things are going to happen. And it's going to be difficult And he's just real about that. And I think that's something as a church we need to be reminded of, too. Is that we do have a real enemy who does want to oppose the advance of the gospel here. That does want to oppose the kingdom advancing. And so we should expect that he's going to do things to try to divide us. Things to try to push us in different directions. Things to get us off of our track things to take us away from the mission that God has given us to do. And so we should know that as we go into things. Jesus goes on with his incredible pep talk. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So take nothing with you um, as you go out among the wolves. Uh, And so what we see here is the same thing that we, we saw earlier when he sent the 12 out. He's teaching them to trust. 
to trust the fact that God's going to provide. Um, this, this example is not a normative. We see, a, we see other places in Scripture where he tells them to take provisions with them. Um, but ultimately, what he's teaching here is the fact that we need to trust God to provide. And it goes on, uh, when it, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat, um, eat what is set before you. So that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, look, go, and I'm going to take care of what you need. God's going to provide. He's going to provide what you need to accomplish what I'm giving you to do. That should be a good reminder to us as a church as well. That as we look to the future, as we look to things and we're trying to discern, is God leading us in this? Is God telling us to go in this direction or not? We need to remember that if he is, he's going to provide. He's going to give us what we need um, to be able to do that. And so we need to trust him to provide. Uh, Going on verse 9. Uh, it says this, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Uh, and so we're to do the work of Jesus. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what his 12 went out doing. That's what these 72 are going out doing, is they're doing his work of advancing the gospel, of telling people about him and what he has done for us and his kingdom is here. We're his hands and feet. We're here to serve him. We're here to represent him. We're here to be his ambassadors. We get that privilege and that opportunity. Next, verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So what, is, what was Sodom? Sodom's a, a city... In the Old Testament, that was so wicked um, that when presented with the opportunity for repentance, no one would, um, except for Lot and his family, and they were spared. Um, They were um, given the opportunity to get out of town, and then God called down fire from heaven and burned up the city. Um, And Jesus is saying, for those who reject the gospel, those who reject the message of his messengers, that it's going to be more bearable on the judgment day, on the day that's to come, for Sodom than for those people. That's pretty bad. He goes on, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For in the mighty, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted Will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. So what's the point of all of this? We see that Jesus is sovereign over judgment. That in the end, we will stand before God. And he will judge us. And Jesus is sovereign over that. He's able to make a promise here that those who are rejecting the message, those who reject the gospel, it's going to be very bad for them. 
He doesn't say, well, I kind of hope it works out for you. He says, no, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be horrible. That's a warning. That's a warning for us that as we take, take his gospel, as we take it to people who need it, there is an urgency. There is a reality to that. At the same time, we can rest assured that Jesus is sovereign even over that judgment. And that he is in control and he has power there. Verse 16, the one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Because that's what it boils down to. As we go with the message of the gospel, as we go proclaiming who Jesus is and what he's done, we get to literally be his voice. The one who hears you hears me, is what Jesus is saying. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Who is that? God the Father. Jesus is saying, don't take it personal. You should expect it. Remember, your lambs among wolves. Rejection is going to come. Opposition is going to arise. But don't, don't take it personally. If you're truly being his messenger and you're proclaiming his gospel, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's him. And that's why in the judgment it's such a serious offense. Because they're rejecting Jesus. And we get the opportunity to represent Jesus. We do that daily. This isn't something we just do on like a one-week emphasis or like, hey, we're going to do kids camp this week. And so um, this is our week that we represent Jesus or um, we, we're going to go on a mission trip. And so on this, this trip and this other place where no one knows us, we get to represent Jesus there. No, Jesus' intent is for us to represent him daily in all of our interactions as we um, go along our way. Verse 17. So that's been the hard part so far. Anybody, anybody a little, little down right now? It's like, man, this doesn't sound very exciting. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So you see, Jesus warns us from the start, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard, but go anyway. And when we go, just like these 72 did, we get the opportunity to experience the incredible joy that only he can give. We get to have joy. There's no joy like the joy of getting to see someone who doesn't reject the message, but they accept it. And, it, and Jesus comes into their life, and they are changed. And there's a newness, there's a freshness. There's no joy like that. When you get to see the change that happens in someone because you gave of your life, of your time, of your energy, of your resources... There's no, there's, there's no joy like it. Because we're getting to do what we're created to do and bringing glory and honor to our Creator. And so these 72, they went out 
They experienced the hard things that Jesus said they would, and then they came back, and they're like, wow, this is awesome. This is incredible. This is amazing. And that's the opportunity we have as we follow him as well. And Jesus, as always, takes this moment to make it a teaching moment with them. And he said to them, like they're so excited that they were able to, uh, to drive out demons and that kind of thing. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall um, like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I have authority or I have sovereignty over Satan and demons. A lot of times we can think that like, you know, in the spiritual realm, like Jesus and Satan are like arch enemies and like they're on the same level and they're like fighting it out with one another. Um, When in reality, Jesus is so far superior to anything that Satan has. Satan was created by Jesus. Satan rebelled against Jesus. Jesus was there when Satan was cast out of heaven, when he was thrown down because of his rebellion. Jesus has sovereignty over Satan and the demons, and he gives that authority to his disciples, to those who are going out in his name. But he says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. He's like, what's the big deal about that? But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's where the big deal is. What does it mean for your name to be written in heaven? It means that you're eternally secure. It means that for all eternity you get to spend um, your, your life in heaven, with God, in his presence, with Jesus, where there is no opposition, where there are no wolves, where all of that is put aside, where all of that is gone, and we get to be with him. We get to be in his presence. That's where our rejoicing is. That's where we should should be overwhelmed, not over um, just over what gifts the Lord has given us here in this life that we're able to use for his kingdom. Those things are great. It's exciting when you get to see God working through you. There's great joy in that. But Jesus is saying that joy should pale in comparison to the joy of getting to be in heaven with me. Getting to be a part of my kingdom. Getting to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Going on, 22. Oh, 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. If, uh, if I were just doing one of my smaller sermons, we would have a whole lot here on the Trinity and the fact that in this verse we see um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, but we're not. And so let's move on. Verse 22. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so we see that Jesus is sovereign over those who are his. If you are are a child of God, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you can be encouraged that Jesus in his sovereignty chose to reveal that to you. He's the one that gave that to you. Others came before him in your life. Others brought the gospel to you. But ultimately, it is Jesus who reveals that to us. And that should be a source of encouragement for all of us who are in Christ Jesus to know that he chose us. He chose to reveal that to us. And so that, again, should be a source of great, great joy. And the final thing we're going to see here, verse 23. Then turning the disciples, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And that's the final thing, to be a follower of Christ, to know his gospel, to know his truth, means that you're blessed. It's a blessing from God that should outweigh anything that this world throws at us. Any of the negativity, anything that wants to pull us away, if we remember who we are in him and what he's done for us, the joy that he offers us, the joy that's found in our security in heaven, which is found in our relationship with him, is such a blessing. And it's easy for us to focus just kind of on the right side of this chart. And we say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, or this is what I'm supposed to be, or, and we want to make it into a checklist, right? The way that Jesus designed for it to work is when we do the left side, when we get this, when we understand who Jesus is, then the right side falls into place. When you understand what Jesus is doing in the world and the power and the authority that he has and what he's done for you in your life, then these other things are going to happen. It's going to fall into place. We do have his word to direct us and guide us in in how that's supposed to happen. But ultimately, when our hearts are with Jesus, when we're bonded with him and we know who he is, and that's what fuels us, then these other things, the way that we're to act in light of that, is going to fall into place. And so, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll worship some more. Dear God, I thank you so much for today and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you are in control and we are not. Um, I thank you that it's not all up to us, um, but that it's all in your hands. And God, I thank you uh, that you can handle it. I thank you that you can handle the biggest crises that happen in our lives, um, that none of them are bigger than you. Um, I thank you that you can handle the smallest little details of our lives and that none of them are too small for you. That you're in control and you're a God who loves us and you're a God who cares for us 
And you, God, you loved us so much that you did send your one and only son to die for us so that we could be made right with you, so that we could have the joy um, that we've talked about today, so that our names could be written um, in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven with you, where we, that, which means we get to spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray for anyone who does not yet know you as their Savior. If there's anyone here who's yet to place their faith in you, I pray that they will, because it is so important. God, I pray that you will show that to them. You'll reveal yourself to them, Jesus. And as we go out, as we go before you in our community, Lord, please follow us, speak through us, reveal yourself to those that we interact with, those that we love, our friends, our family, co-workers, random people we run into. Lord, let us be your hands and feet. Let us proclaim your gospel. Let us be faithful servants. We pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen.